us dear tonight father we pray over this time in the word of god lord the word is so important we need the word of god and lord i pray that right now by your precious power and presence of your holy spirit your anointing lord to help us all to really get locked in and focused to what you're speaking to us not distracted minds not wandering um, but lord rather our minds are really in tune with what you're saying you would anoint our eyes and ears, give us eyes and ears of the Spirit, and help us to have good, fertile soil of hearts and minds alive, so to be ready and receptive that this word will go out as living seeds of truth sown in the good, fertile soil of hearts and minds alive, watered by the Holy Spirit. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, allow your word to go out as light, shining and dispelling all the darkness, lies, evil, and deception, and bring truth and revelation. Let it go out, Lord, like the washing of the water of the word and cleanse and purify. And we bless you, Lord, and thank you for the awesome power of your word tonight. Let everything be accomplished and it's your will to be done. Let the winds of your spirit, Lord, carry this word everywhere it's supposed to go. Let your angels watch over it. And we agree together because Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed that we bind in the name of Jesus. Any satanic forces that would try to hinder the word, we bind you now in Jesus' name. You have no power over this word going forth. And so, Lord, we thank you and we bless you. You will not let your word return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm dealing with the incense tonight in David's tabernacle. It's going to be an interesting sermon. If you love God's presence, I believe that you'll really like this sermon. So I want you to picture this. You guys remember the tabernacle of Moses in the Bible, okay? The tabernacle of Moses came in from, you know, the wilderness time. And the last place that we know that that tabernacle ended up was in Shiloh. And as it said in Shiloh, David, who is a man after God's own heart that loved God's presence so much, it burned in his heart. He wanted the presence of God where he was in Jerusalem. And so David sent, the first time he did this, he made some mistakes, but he ended up getting the Levites together and they went to Shiloh and they got the ark out of the tabernacle. They left the rest of the tabernacle. This is what's interesting. But they got the ark, which had to do with God's manifest presence. And they carried it every six steps. They killed an animal and there was blood. And they, they, they worshipped and, and praised and the whole way there. And they brought it from Shiloh into Jerusalem where David set up a special tent to house the ark. And we know that along the journey, the first time when he made some mistakes, that the ark ended up in the house of a man named Obed-Edom, who was a Hittite, a Gentile, and the glory stayed there for a time. And so that's going to play into this sermon. But I want you to see what I'm saying, that David kind of broke protocol. You don't read anywhere where Moses said it was okay for anybody to come in and take the ark out of the tabernacle and separate it from the tabernacle and bring it into Jerusalem like that. But David, I believe it was the compelling of the Spirit of God to do this. And it's known in the Bible as David's tabernacle. And this was in place until Solomon built the temple. But when David brought that there, I want you to read this now in the New Testament times. Whenever Peter and James and many others were gathered together and they were talking about Christianity now had formed. Jesus had come and fulfilled the law. 
and they were trying to figure some things out. And it was interesting that they said this in Acts 15, starting at verse 16. They said, after these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. So you see that this was a prophecy about the church, which I'm going to explain in a moment. He said, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. So the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from long ago. So just like in the time of David's tabernacle, Obed-Edom being a Gentile played a role in all of this. It's symbolic of Jew and Gentile coming together, but it's also symbolic in this picture that I picked to use. You see David as the king on the left, and then you see the priest on the right. And I want you to remember this, the, king, the kingly anointing and the priestly anointing, because I'm going to deal with that as well. And then Hebrews 10.1 says, The law is only a shadow of good things to come, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never be by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. The law was just a shadow. If you look down at a shadow, it looks like your form, but it has no substance. Okay, you, the, whatever's creating the shadow is the actual substance, the reality. And what Hebrews is trying to paint a picture of is that what was in the Old Testament time was just a shadow to paint a picture of what we would have today in Christ. And let me kind of give you some examples. The Lord used Moses to create a tabernacle but it was always God's intention all along that eventually that man would be the tabernacle of God that we would be the temple of the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God would live in us but God had to create a natural tabernacle to paint a picture of what he was going to fulfill in Christ the reality that was just a shadow but now we have the reality. God took Abraham and told him that he and his household must be circumcised. And it, it was something that was a dedication unto God. And it, it set apart um, Abraham's descendants. It set apart the nation of Israel from every other nation around him, this circumcision. But God is not interested now in a circumcision in the flesh He's interested in a circumcised heart. And the Bible says that we are true Hebrews, true descendants of Abraham, whether Jew or Gentile, that are circumcised in the heart. It's a, you know what the circumcision of the heart is? It's a born-again experience. God is looking for a new birth. See, what they had, what Israel had in the natural, was painting a picture of what we now have, the reality in Christ. We have a circumcised heart, male and female, Jew and Gentile. Everybody that comes into Christ is circumcised now, but it's a circumcision not done by the hands of men, but it's done by the Spirit of God on the inside. And that sets us apart from the rest of the world. Do you see what I'm saying? I could give so many examples with this, but you remember how the, the Jewish people, there was a kosher diet. And they were not allowed to eat a lot of the things that the nations around them would eat. 
And it was definitely something that set them apart from everybody else. But see, that was just a shadow and type of what we have the reality today in Christianity in this, that we no longer partake of the things of the world. The world's out there watching all kinds of filth in movies and, and, and you know, putting drugs in their body and they're doing all these other things to defile their temple and they're feeding on things that are, that are spiritually speaking, are filth. But we are different. We're set apart unto God. We're His children and we don't partake of the things of the world. Our spiritual diet is different than the world. So I hope you see where I'm going with this. Everything is now fulfilled in Christ. And what Israel had in the natural, we now have in the spiritual. But the pattern is the same. Does that make sense? The pattern. What God did in the natural, He created a pattern. We have the reality in the spiritual, but the pattern hasn't changed. It's just fulfilled in Christ. And I'll show you that as we go. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, we have a liberty in the Holy Spirit. We're not bound by the legalism of the law, because the law is now written upon our hearts. Here's another shadow and type. God gave Moses two tablets of stone that had the Ten Commandments written on it. And that was something in the natural. A shadow of what was to come. But what happened? Now in the New Testament, the Bible says that God the Holy Spirit has written His Word upon the tables of our heart. We have the reality in Christ. What they only had a shadow, we have the substance. And I believe another one could be manna. And I need to stop after this because I could keep going for a long time. But manna... They ate manna in the wilderness. But now we have the communion table. And it's something that is so powerful. All right. But here's a couple things. And let me just go through this. Some things God laid on my heart. This is not a long sermon, but I believe it will bless you. David's heart was for God's presence. How many of you guys love God's presence? You're hungry for His presence. Once you've really had an encounter with the presence of God... There's going to be something yearning for that the rest of your life. And if you've ever been touched by God and you've been in a, in a place, like here at River of Life, but a place where God's presence is and there's worship like this and there's, there's a move of the Spirit and you're touched by God and you're in that for a little while, if you ever get out of that, you'll never be satisfied with a dead, dry church service. It will never satisfy. It doesn't matter how good the preaching is. It doesn't matter how talented the worship is. If it's dead and dry, you're going to be yearning for more. It'll just burn in you. And that's the way David was. David, even though he was not a priest, I believe the presence of God touched his life because he set out alone as a shepherd, a young man, and he would play the harp and worship. And he would meditate on the word of God. And the Lord touched him. The Lord visited his life there. And David had a hunger for the presence of God in his life so much. But in 1 Samuel 13, 14, King Saul had failed God in many ways. I talked about this last week, how Saul didn't have any preparation. Remember that? He was just thrust into power. He was a head taller. He was handsome. He looked like a king. He was what the people wanted. 
And God said, you want a king? I'll give you what you want. And gave him Saul. And Saul never really measured up because he never went through the cave dwellings and the wilderness and the preparation times and the difficulties and, and all the things that form and shape us into men and women of God. And so Saul ended up making some serious mistakes. And Samuel rebuked him here and said, But now your kingdom shall not endure, Saul. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as a ruler over his people, because you've not kept what the Lord commanded you. So God called David a man after his own heart. A man that loved God and wanted to be in God's presence, wanted to spend time with him. We read through the Psalms, things like this, don't take your presence from me. You know, um, better is one day in your courts than a thousands elsewhere. You know, you just read all these scriptures about yearning to be in his presence and, and wanting to know him and be with him and spend time with him. That was something that burned in David's heart. And I believe that's why David sought out to bring the ark to Jerusalem. So I want you to picture David's tabernacle, a tent that housed the ark. And David knew... He needed to have these priests and Levites there that would um, be praising and worshiping night and day around the presence of the Lord. So let me now get into this. So with that said, God is yearning. I hope that we understand this. God is yearning to spend time with us. I, I don't understand it because all of us, and I'm certainly thinking of myself most of all, but all of us are so imperfect. But yet God loves us and he yearns to spend time with us. And I don't think a lot of people really fully understand prayer. Prayer is good in, in that you're talking to God, but you also need to listen. And it's not always about necessarily even talking so much as this. You know, I like my wife just to be home and to be there and she likes me to be there. But we're not talking the whole time. Sometimes we're just in the same room. We might be watching a TV show or something, but we just want each other there. You know, God wants to be with us, and it's not always a matter of talking. Sometimes it's just a matter of resting in His presence. You may be reading the Bible. Um, he may speak to you something. He may not. But I think that He just simply wants to be with us. And deep down, all of us yearn to be with Him. There's a hunger in all of us. And so with that said, that's David's heart. So I'm trying to paint a picture of David's tabernacle, David's heart, and what this means. Let me show you now what I believe the pattern of the Old Testament now that comes into the new of how we can have an abiding presence of God. Look at this, coming through the blood, Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... You know where the most holy place is? The holy of holies. The glory. That we can come into the glory by the blood. Did you know that because of the blood of Jesus, there really is nothing that is hindering us. As long as we'll confess our sin and forgive others and all of that. But because of the blood, there is nothing that's hindering us from being able to go into his presence. He said, if you sin, in, the, in John, he said, first John, if you sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
So as we confess our sin and, you know, we forgive others and we do right, that the blood of Jesus will wash and cover us. And it's through that blood that we come into the most holy place, into his glory. That's why I love when we come together in River of Life, we always take communion at the beginning of the service because I want to give us a chance to get washed and covered in the blood of Jesus so that we can come together collectively into the Holy of Holies. Now I want you to see something here, the incense. All right, I'm going to go ahead and jump into this. So there was this in Hebrew, Korban Tamid. This was the eternal sacrifice. Let me explain. Every morning, I want you to, to go with me for a moment. Use your imagination. Go with me. Every morning and every evening, the priest had to sacrifice a lamb. It was called the morning and evening sacrifice. It was at nine in the morning and three in the afternoon. And this was to go on, the Bible says, throughout all generations. This was to never stop. And so I want you to picture that one of the priests in Hebrew called the Kohanim, one of them would come. And maybe it was their time that they were supposed to go into the holy place and burn incense. So they had to bring a lamb. Every morning, every evening, this had to happen. They had a lamb. And that lamb's blood was shed. And they also had to have bread and wine. Which paints the picture of communion, doesn't it? And after they did that, they offered up the bread. They offered up the wine, the grain offering and the wine. The wine was poured out. And they shed the blood of the lamb. It's a picture and type of us coming through the blood. Does this make sense? Us coming through the blood. How many of you guys just on your own take communion at least regularly to some degree? Most people in the church. See, I've taught a lot on the communion table. And so this is a time where people are getting washed and covered in the blood. But every morning, every evening. And then after that blood was shed, that priest was made clean because of the blood. And so he would wear his priestly garments, the white, the blue, the gold, and had that that breastplate and he would go in from the outer court into the holy place now and as he went into the holy place that table of showbread was there which represents the communion table but on the left he would have that menorah a seven branch lampstand and he would trim the wicks to make sure there was plenty of oil and the wicks were burning bright he would trim and make sure everything about that menorah was okay and then he would go up before, right before the veil where the Holy of Holies was, there was this golden, um, you know, like a box there, okay? It's called the Ark, um, I'm sorry, the Golden Altar of Incense, I'm sorry. And it had a bowl on the top of it, and he would have to take a hot coal from outside and put it in that bowl, but he would sit there and burn that incense on that golden altar of incense. And that incense would begin to fill like a smoke. It would fill that entire holy place where he was. As he was doing this, no doubt the fragrance of that incense was getting into his beard. It was getting into his clothes. And so when he would come out from that time, he would smell like the incense, but so would everything else in there. And so that incense, this was going on every morning and every evening in Israel, every day. And it was even believed, this is not in the Bible, but it was believed by people of that time that they would face the temple or the tabernacle before the temple was the tabernacle. They would face it and they would pray. And they believed that as they prayed and that priest would go in every day and would burn that incense and worship and pray, 
they believed that their prayers intermingled with the priest and went up in that incense unto the Lord. And this went on every morning, every evening. And I'm going to show you how that's a pattern of what Israel had in the natural, we now have in the spiritual. In Exodus 30, starting with verse 34, the Lord said to Moses, Take yourself spices. Okay, number one, stockte, then unction, then galbanum, and then frankincense. There was four. And he said, There shall be equal part of each. With it, you'll make an incense, a perfume, the work of a perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. You shall beat some of it very fine and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It will be most holy to you. The incense which you shall make, you shall not make in the same proportions for yourselves. It shall be holy to you for the Lord. And then he goes on to say anybody that makes anything like it just to use in their own house, you know, he said they'll be cut off from my people. This has to be something special for the tabernacle. So, what, pray, what incense represents for us today, I want you to see this pattern, guys, because I'm trying to tell you that God has rebuilt the, the, uh, the fallen tent of David, and God is wanting that now we can have his presence in our lives. And he's wanting to commune with us, and he's wanting us to be with him. And that fallen tent of David is rebuilt now, where Jew and Gentile together worship the lord so here's what the incense represents for us today in christianity they just simply had a natural physical incense you would sprinkle it and it would hit that hot coal and it would turn into smoke it was something that was natural but now we are the temple of the holy spirit the tabernacle the spirit of god and the hot coal is now a burning heart in us. How many know your heart needs to be burning for God? You need to be on fire. And it, that's where the, the altar of incense is now, is in our heart. And God wants our hearts to burn for Him. So out of a burning heart, when we come together, and we come through the blood together, and we begin to worship and praise Him, and begin to pray and intercede, those four parts, praise, worship, prayer, intercession, as we begin to do that, it is an incense that is going up from this place to his throne. Isn't that powerful? And just like in the Old Testament times, this isn't in the Bible, but it was believed that people's prayers got intermingled in that incense that went up. You know what's interesting to me? When we come together, like for example, on Tuesday nights, we take communion together, we, we get covered and washed in the blood, and we begin to praise and worship and pray and intercede. You know what? All of our prayers are intermingling in that incense and going right up into God's throne through an open heaven. And I'm going to show you this in the New Testament. Revelation 5, 6. Remember, John was on the Isle of Patmos and these angels came and he was having these open visions and the angels were showing him things and he was writing out the book of Revelation. And this is one of the things that he was shown. He said, I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. 
And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp, and look at this, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Did you know when we come together and we praise and worship and pray and intercede together, that that same exact pattern of what was in the tabernacle we have today, but we have the actual reality. It's not just some burning uh, fragrant incense. No, it's literal praise and worship, prayer and intercession. It's alive. It's in spirit and in truth. It's out of a burning heart. And you know what? It goes right up into God's throne room, and it's a memorial offering before him, and it's so important to him that he makes sure that our prayers get in golden bowls that are around his throne. Isn't that something? In Psalm 141, verse 2, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like an evening sacrifice. You see the patterns there? And so for me personally, let me read one more thing and I'll say what I was about to say. 1 Peter 2, 4, And coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men. Now, I mean, knows when Jesus came, he was rejected by men. But is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. I don't think that any of us really truly realize how much of an honor it is for God to consider us priests. If, if we ever get this revelation, somehow God dropped this in me years ago, but if we ever get the revelation that only the priest could go into that holy place and burn incense and, and they were in the presence of God, it was only them. All of the rest of God's people only knew God from afar. And the fact that God says now that Jesus has come and his blood has washed you and made you holy, I'm going to allow my Holy Spirit to come live in you. And you're going to become my tabernacle. And not only that, I want you to be able to come into my manifest presence. Think about that for a minute. It's such an honor that we can come into God's presence. And for me personally, I've always had that pattern in my mind about the morning and evening sacrifice. I get up in the morning, I spend time with the Lord. And, and personally, I take the Lord's table i take communion i spend time with him i worship and pray and then before we go to bed in the evening i always spend some time in prayer with my wife like the evening sacrifice we come through the blood you know we pray together and sing a little bit and we worship and it's very powerful actually i'm i'm not exaggerating the glory of the lord comes the same as at church i have people sometimes i don't know if they believe that or not but it's the truth the glory of god comes in that place but it's a morning and evening sacrifice. I believe there's something about that pattern. God said it's to be eternal. If you go back and read, it's to never end. What happened is the morning and evening sacrifice was fulfilled in Christ. And now we have the spiritual reality where we can spend time with him in the early morning. And we can spend some time with him in the evening before we go to bed. Which in the Hebrew mindset would be the first prayer of the day. Because the day starts as the sun goes down. So to understand the New Testament, I understand somebody's a baby Christian, they get saved, they can read the book of John, they can understand enough to not only be saved, but to start even walking in victory over sin. I understand all of that. 
But to really fully understand the Bible and have some depth, you're going to have to understand the Old Testament to really understand the New. Does that make sense? You have to understand the book of Daniel to really, truly understand the book of Revelation. And there's a principle in the scripture called the law of first reference. The first time something's mentioned in the Bible, it has some kind of an authority and a precedence that's set for everything after it. So when it says here that you and I are priests unto God to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, see, a lot of people that don't know the Old Testament, I've heard preachers preach like this. They'll say, well, what that means is that, you know, sometimes it's difficult to pray or it's difficult to worship, so it's a sacrifice. And that's what that's talking about. That's not really what that's talking about. What this is talking about is going back and understanding the sacrifices that were under Moses and how they're fulfilled in Christ now. And let me give you an example. The sin and guilt offering. The sin offering is a sin is missing the mark. But the guilt offering seems to me, in my opinion, to be more along the lines of transgressions because it's one thing to sin, but it's another thing to know something's wrong and to premeditate and do it anyway. The Bible calls that a transgression because it's a rebellion. And it seems to me like the sin offering and the guilt offering has to do with sin and the guilt offering with transgressions, okay? But that was fulfilled in Christ. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The punishment that brought peace was upon him. He, his, our sin was, was bore into his body. And so those, those were fulfilled. And so whenever we come before the Lord and we're asking him to wash and cover us in his blood, that sin and that guilt offering, he said, I will forgive you and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That is fulfilled in Christ. We have the reality. They had a substance. Is anybody seeing this? The blood of animals could only cover sin temporarily. We have the reality that the blood of Jesus is a spiritual thing and it washes away our sins. Not covering it, it washes us white as snow. It's gone. And so those two offerings are fulfilled in Christ completely in regards to his blood washing us. Now here's the next three. There were five total. The first two, sin and guilt. The next one called Ola was the burnt offering. So people would bring like a big bull, an ox to the tabernacle, you know. And they would have it sacrificed and it would be placed there as a burnt offering and it would be completely consumed. And the book of Romans chapter 12 says that we're to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto him. You know how the burnt offering is fulfilled in Christ? The priest would watch an animal be consumed. That was the sacrifice. But now the Lord says, I want you to lay your life down on my altar and say, Lord, send your holy fire and burn up everything out of me that doesn't please you. I want to be a living sacrifice, holy unto you. Send the Holy Spirit's fire, Lord. Burn through me, cleanse me. That is the fulfillment of a burnt offering. That we lay down our lives and we begin, all of us when we were young in the Lord, struggled in different areas and sins of different kinds. But as you grew in Christ and as that fire of the Holy Spirit kept burning through your life, God kept cleansing you. And sanctifying you. You are going from glory to glory. And your life is becoming more and more of a burnt offering unto him. And that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That we have that available to us today.
The second one called the Shelamim is the peace or the fellowship offering. People would bring with them animals and maybe, a, 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 you know, to have them sacrifice and all that, but it was a peace offering unto the Lord. And what this represents is our fellowship. Like I said before, God yearns for us to spend time with Him. And so these peace offerings where they would just simply bring something and it was burned, it was a fragrant thing up unto God, a fire offering. But God says, I want your fellowship. You have to understand, when God created man, He put Adam in the garden, He would come down and walk with him every day. In the cool of the day, He longed for that fellowship. What this peace offering now represents, Israel only had a shadow and type. But now we're able to walk with God. We're able to spend time with Him. We're able to fellowship with Him. And now we have that peace and that fellowship offering of prayer. And the last of the five is called the Mincha. And this is the grain offering. The grain offering has to do with our service unto God. Let me tell you guys, whenever you go out witnessing on Friday nights, when you go with touching hearts and you minister to the homeless and all that they do, there's many things they do. And you, you're a part of coming up here and you're praying and maybe you serve on the worship team. In all the different capacities that you serve, that is a grain offering unto the Lord. Our service needs to be out of a sincere heart that we simply love the Lord and the things that we're doing is because we love Him. We're not doing it because we want to pat on the back. We're not doing it because we want to be able to be up here in the front and have everybody clap their hands and say, Oh, you're just so great. We're not doing it for that reason. We're not doing it for money. We're not doing it for fame. We're doing it just because we love Him. And when you have a sincere heart and you go out and you serve the Lord, you're out witnessing, you're out doing things for His kingdom, you know, you're ministering in the capacity God's given you. You're fulfilling that offering, that sacrifice. So remember what Peter said. You are a priesthood to offer up now spiritual sacrifices. Israel offered up natural sacrifices. But we're now a priesthood that's been circumcised in the heart. The Word of God is written upon the tables of our hearts. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We're clothed in righteousness. We're supposed to be also be clothed with power in the glory of the Lord. We're priests. And so when we come together and we pray, it's a beautiful incense unto God's throne. But God's wanting us to offer up these spiritual sacrifices unto Him of our lives being a burnt offering. Spending time with Him and then serving and doing things for Him. And what we have to understand about David's tabernacle was that it was a place of continual sacrifice, continual worship and prayer. I can just imagine that the tabernacle of Moses, that night and day, there was continually sacrifices. There was continually blood being shed. You would hear the shofar going off regularly. You would hear people praying and people worshiping. You would hear the, the Kohanim, the priests, lift their hands and speak that blessing over the people that came. And it was a place of, of blood and a place of praise and worship, prayer and intercession. And because of that, the glory of God dwelled there. You remember me preaching that sermon on the Shekinah in Hebrew, Shekinah? You know what? The Shekinah comes from a root word in Hebrew called Shekhan, 
which means to dwell. What the Shekinah glory is, is the glory presence of God that dwells, continually dwells. What I'm trying to get at in this sermon today is David has such a heart for God, has such a hunger for his presence, that he was willing to go all the way to Shiloh and get a team of Levites together and enough animals to sacrifice every six steps, an animal, and to get that ark into Jerusalem where he was because he loved God's presence. What I'm trying to get at is the presence of God is available. And those that are hungry like David, they have a heart for God. They want his presence. I can tell you that the tabernacle was a place of blood. If we'll begin every day to be washed and covered in the blood of the Lamb, we need to apply the blood of Jesus to our lives daily. As we come and get washed in the blood, and then the tabernacle was a place of spiritual sacrifices and a place of incense. A place of worship and prayer. And so that leads me to these last couple things. God's house is a house of prayer. Jesus said that. Let me read this. The tabernacle where God's presence continually dwelled, the Shekinah, was a place of continual worship and prayer. It was also a place of the blood, which I've already said this, but I'm just reading this here. The blood was continually applied in a place of sacrifices that pleased God. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 21, 13. It is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. And Jesus was rebuking them because where God's presence was dwelling, there was sin and it grieved the Lord. And so Isaiah 56 verse 7, Jesus was quoting here. Listen to this. I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. I believe Isaiah saw something down the road as he predicted this. Because he said my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And in his time it would have been a house of prayer for just Israel. He saw something that David's tabernacle would be um, prophetic. And that down the road... There will come a group of people of every ethnicity, Jew and Gentile, coming together, circumcised in heart, and we would be like David's fallen tent being rebuilt, praise and worship, prayer and intercession unto the Lord, and his glory would dwell among us. The priestly and kingly ministry of David. In Revelation 5.10, the Bible says, and has made us unto God kings and priests. I know that that can be translated a kingdom of priests, but I'm trying to make a point here. God's wanting us to walk in a spiritual authority where the Bible says in Luke 10, 19, that we will trample upon snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm us. Now, be knows that's walking in authority. You trample upon snakes and scorpions, overcome all the power of the enemy. That's crushing the enemy under feet. Jesus said, these signs follow them that believe in my name. You will drive out demons, speak in new tongues, lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover. So there's a kingly authority that we're supposed to be walking in. But let me tell you how this works. The Bible talked about 30, 60, 100 fold. 
Thirty-fold Christians are just people that go to church every once in a while. They might tithe, but that's really about the end of it. But sixty-fold Christians have learned how to pray. They've learned how to spend time with Him, how to offer up that incense of praise and worship, prayer and intercession. They've learned how to come into His presence and minister unto Him. And once you learn that, then you're going to be able to start coming out of that time of prayer in a kingly anointing to destroy the works of the devil. And you'll begin to walk in an authority to drive out demons and release healing to the sick and destroy the works of Satan. And it's a kingly anointing. But that's a hundredfold. But before you can come into that, you've got to become a person of prayer. You've got to be somebody that learns how to spend time in his presence as a priest. And God has called us like David to be warrior priests. David wasn't a priest by lineage. We know he was of the tribe of Judah. But he wore the ephod and he knew how to pray and he knew how to hear from God. So in essence, David in many ways was a priest unto God. And I believe in these last days, the tabernacle of David has already been rebuilt. God's wanting to come dwell among us. He's wanting us to come together, Jew and Gentile, all ethnicities, and make his house a house of prayer. And if we will honor the blood of Jesus, if we'll come together under that blood and be washed in the blood, and we'll offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable unto God, and a pattern that God laid out that we have fulfilled in Christ, and we'll offer up that incense of praise and worship, prayer and intercession, you're creating a place where God will come dwell in your life in an awesome way. You can have this in your home, but there's got to be a hunger. And that's what I want to pray for people tonight. That God begin to, I feel this, I feel that God's wanting to impart something to people tonight. That there will be something imparted that will cause a hunger for prayer in His presence that you've not had before and like a grace to be able to seek Him. As the Bible says that no man can come unless the Father draw him. And the Father draws by the Spirit. So it's got to be something that God is doing. At the same time, though, the Bible says, draw nigh to God, He'll draw nigh to you. So there is an aspect of us, you know, going after God. But in this instance of what I'm talking about, I believe that this has to be something that's like a grace in your life because a lot of people's prayer lives aren't really truly in America across the board. People aren't really praying like they need to. And I believe God's wanting to impart something that's going to help people to have a rich, powerful prayer life like never before a hunger for him like David. So Lord, I pray that tonight that as we pray for people, my wife and I will go through, I'm asking you, Lord, that there would be a burning heart in people. Lord, that there'll be a hunger like they've never known. Like David, they'll yearn for your presence and be a, a man or a woman after your own heart. And Lord, that, that we'll yearn for you and that they, this will result in people having a hunger to go into prayer and spend time with you like they've never had before. Maybe some have had it in part, but it's going to increase. Others have never really had that. And to pray, it was just something like a discipline. But Lord, I'm asking you to begin to move upon them where it's no longer a discipline that they feel like they have to do, but there's a hunger and a draw and a grace to come because you're wanting us to be in your presence. 
And if we'll do like the pattern that was laid out of really honoring the blood and coming through the blood and that, that incense of praise and worship, prayer and intercession, the glory of the Lord will become a part of our lives like never before. That thick glory, the Shekinah, the, the, the dwelling, but also the Chabad in Hebrew, that weighty, heavy presence will come. And Lord, we want that your presence come dwell with us. Lord, that you come in Jesus' name. Let's go ahead and kill recordings and we'll pray for people tonight.